Let me read First uh, Peter chapter 2. That is the text that we are in, for those of you visiting and not familiar with us. We expound, uh, exegete the word of God by going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, uh, through the word of God. We are in First Peter. Uh, we are in chapter 2. I want to read the first three verses to us before we have a word of prayer. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in God, it is a delight to be here, and we are excited to sing. We are excited to see the baby dedication and a new young child come into life and be committed to you and parents who love you and want to serve you and want to help their child to know you. And we are so thrilled to be able to open up this book in our language to be able to look into it and, Father, see the message that you have for us. And so we are thankful now and pray that you'd help us. We know that in the course of the day there are all kinds of activities and thoughts and schedules that are involved in our thinking and our emotions. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to quiet that, put it aside. The Spirit of God would have full liberty to use the Word of God in our lives as we study it together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. As far as a title, and the only reason I have a title is for the benefit of the tape or benefit of the disc and, and so on for the website. It is Longing for the Word is actually the title for today's message. Before I actually get into chapter 2, I want to read chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 for us to remind us where we are contextually uh, as well, because it will come up in the message this morning. Here's where Peter left off in chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls... For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. Here Peter has just reminded his readers of the fact in this passage that I just read that they have been born again. They have been given new life. They have been given life from above. We experience everyone that is a human being experiences a physical birth into this world. And then there is the search within us, as we know we have a conscience, we have a heart and mind, and we're searching for answers in life. We go through various methods to try to determine answers to those questions, but we know that there is a spirit within us, and it really, as we learn from the Word of God, is a spirit that is dead. You know, with all these programs that we have around, truly the walking dead are physically born, but no life with God. And the desire is to be born again. That is, to be born from above, 
to have a new birth, a relationship that not only talks about God, but knows God truly, the one true God of the universe, and is a child of God, not by just verbal statement or the fact that they've been born in America or they call themselves that, but in reality have come to trust in Christ and have become a child of God as clearly outlined in the gospel according to John. And these folks that he's writing to, he says in those verses, they have experienced it because God called them. God called them and they have been born again. And he also called them to love one another fervently in verse 22. They have been called to do that. Believers, as we know, are supposed to be known by their love one for another. And they are called to do that. And he also said, in the third part that I want you to grasp because it flows right into chapter 2, is that he talked about the word of God. And he said at the end of verse 23 and then into 24 and 25, he said that the word of God, that which came from God, is living. It's not dead. Languages may die, but God's word never dies. It will endure forever. In fact, he goes on to say that. That's the second part of it in verse 25. The word of God is not only living and powerful, and Lord willing, we'll see a verse on that again this morning, but it is also something that endures forever. So he said, you're born again, and the word of God is something that is living, and it endures forever, and you are to love one another. And then as we began this passage last week in chapter 2, we notice that he introduces this with a conclusion, therefore. Okay, and again, we have seen in that introduction last week, as I opened it up, I asked of the congregation, all of us, what is it that we really crave? What is it that we really long for in our lives? People long for different things. They crave for different things. And, uh, but he wants to get into chapter 2, and really, as he does in chapter 2, he wants them to understand what it means to love one another. This is something that we talk about as Christians. This is something that the world talks about, and, and love is the greatest thing, according to 1 Corinthians chapter th uh, 13. And what does that mean, and how are we to love one another? How can we do this? And so Peter begins to unpack this in chapter 2, verse 1 particularly, before he gets into what they should really be craving for. And he starts with that conclusion, and I gave you an outline last week of three items, and we dealt with the first one. And the first one is the, what will show us our love by not having these things. It's kind of a negative. But these are things in verse 1 that we are absolutely to get rid of. That was last week's message. He concludes by saying, you're born again. You're supposed to love one another. The word of God is living. Therefore, get rid of these things. They should not be found in the Christian life. Why? These things have no place in the believer's life. No place in my life, nor in your life. These actions, listen carefully again. I want to repeat this from last week. These actions noted in verse 1 and these attitudes is, listen, these actions and these attitudes we saw last week is actually what destroys believers' love for one another. This is what destroys Christian love. We think it's a lot of other things, and I won't go back into the detail of last week's message. 
But he says that basically this is what destroys Christian love. And he names five of them. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. When you are seeking harm for another believer, that is destroying love. When you are deceitful, saying one thing to one person and something to someone else. When you are hypocritical, or I am hypocritical, any one of these things. When we're wearing a mask, we come into church one way Sunday, and then during the week we're somebody else. When we're involved in envy, when we see somebody else being successful and we don't like it, and worse, the fifth one, slander. When we are involved in any type of defamation of character whatsoever, those are the things that destroy Christian love. He says, just love one another fervently, therefore, put these things aside. Take them off like a garment. There is absolutely no place for these. And as we saw last week, his point was, do not be involved in any of these things if you're really following Christ. In fact, not only are we not to participate in it, listen carefully, when we hear of it, or we see it in our midst, in fact, we are called to rebuke it, not to participate in it. So what destroys Christian love? Here's five of the items that do that. So you can talk Christian love all you want, but if you're involved in malice, if you're involved in deceit, if you're involved in slander, you are destroying the body of Christ. You or I am part of destroying brotherly love while we talk about it. That was last week. So there's the negative. What's the positive? Now in verse 2, he gets into what we should do in the positive. What we should crave for. What we should long for. What we should desire. And I repeat the question from last week. What is it that you desire? What is it that you crave? Not only for your personal life. Listen, we just had the Gushoffs up here a little while ago. But for their family. For our families. What is it that we crave for this church? When you look for a church, Beth is going to be moving out of the area, uh, as an example. And I, I'm assuming she's probably going to go where her son goes, I'm assuming. But if she was not and she was moving into that area and didn't know anything, what should she look for in a church? Should she look for the program? Should she look for all these other? What should she be craving as she goes into that area? That's a question for all of us. So as we get into the exposition of beginning in verse 2, we see what Peter says to these saints who he is writing to. And what does he tell them? Well, first of all, let's address the category of people that he's talking to. Who is Peter talking to? He says this, like newborn babies. Like newborn babies. Very important. You notice he says like or as some of your translations might have. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to new believers? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, if you look back at chapter 1, same book, go back to verse 6 for a minute. In chapter 1, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And he goes on to expand that. You might remember that in chapter 1. He's talking to believers who were believers for a while and were facing a lot of trials in their life. So don't assume that these are new believers. This is quite different. I'll read two passages to you. In Hebrews, not too far away, in chapter 5, he was addressing there, the writer of Hebrews, people that were 
in effect, should have been older believers, but they were babies. Because in chapter 5, verse uh, 12 and 13, he said this. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, <clears throat> you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have need of milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. In that particular passage, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you should be teachers, you're behaving like babies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I won't turn to that, but Paul, the apostle Paul, writes to the believers of Corinth, and he says, I cannot speak unto you as spiritual people. I have to speak unto you, literally, he says, as little infants, because you have not grown up and you should have. So in those particular passages, both Paul and the writer of Hebrews is addressing people who were acting like babies. But in this particular case, Peter is not addressing infants. He's addressing believers who are facing persecution, and in effect, he's addressing all believers. So this is addressed to every believer. If you're a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you. This is for me. And he tells us, he's not saying they were infants, but he's telling them to, as an infant, as a newborn baby, and it's, infant, it's interesting because he's not even talking about a toddler. We just had Hannah up here a little while ago, and a new baby, new baby, actually getting a little bit bigger. But he's saying that he wants them as newborn babies to crave something. So he wants them to be like a newborn baby in this sense. It's not a rebuke that they were wrong by still being infants. He wants them to behave that way in this particular case. Why? He says, like newborn babies, here's the craving. He says, verse 2, long for something. They are to long for something, like a baby does. They are to desire something. They are to crave. Last week, I think I used the illustration when we were as a group in Rome, if I remember it correctly, and uh, there was a night we all went out and everybody was craving gelato. Uh, sometimes we crave chocolate. Uh, those that don't like chocolate, I said, to benefit you, I don't know what I used. It may have been spinach. Uh, maybe it's spinach that you crave. I don't know. But whatever it is that we crave, people have different cravings and so forth. Uh, I don't know why they always say women who are expecting to crave pickles. I don't remember my wife ever craving pickles. But they, there's things we crave. We just have to have them. Okay? Well, he's telling these believers that they had to desire. They had to long for. They had to crave something. The focus of the priority of every single believer, listen, every single believer should be craving this. It is an imperative. It is the main verb of chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In fact, the last imperative, just to show you how important this is, the last imperative that Peter gave was in chapter 1, verse 22. What was it? You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, that is, through the living word of God in verse 23. But in verse 22, he said, what? He said that they were to love one another from the heart. That was the last imperative that he gave. You as believers are to love one another. And as we come into chapter 2, after lying before them and unpacking that love, which should not include these things, he then comes back to an imperative. 
And he says to them that they had to crave something. This is to be an intense longing. And just think of what you might long for. In fact, I won't turn to it, but if you want a reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he uses this Greek term in which he expresses there how even creation and we long for heaven. We long for that moment in which our sin nature is gone. We long for that moment when there's no more of the suffering and pain, and we just crave for that. It's an intense longing that even creation cries out for. That's what he talks about. And we are to crave something that way. We ought to be so passionate. What do you mean? We have to have it. We have to have it. And I'll expand on that in a minute. Do you crave anything in the Christian life? I say that because oftentimes as Christians, quoting ourselves as Christians, we go through life and we don't crave anything. But we should have a craving. We should have a desire. We should have this drive that I absolutely have to have something. And what is it? He tells you what the content of that craving should be in verse 2. Like a newborn baby, what they ought to do is to crave. There's the command. What? For the milk or pure milk of the word of God. A believer is to crave. It is to desire. It is to long for the word of God. It is not to long for even evangelism. We talked about this last week. I believe, as I said, as you observe the Christian church, the emphasis seems to be on evangelism or criticizing lack of evangelism. Now, there is a place for that. I talked about that last week. We talk about programs. There is a place for programs. But some long and they search for churches and they search out what they want to do based upon programs. Others search for entertainment. Others search for music, whatever it might be. Our craving should not be for those things. Our craving should be for the pure word of God. That is also true, by the way. I'll tell you this. If you don't know Christ today, your craving should be for the same thing. Not for more church. Not for more religion. The world is filled with religion. The world is filled with churchianity. But what you really need is objective truth. You know, as we have discussions, and we're talking last night, even at the table, uh, at the men's meeting last night, people believe all kinds of things. Sometimes we believe things because we were brought up that way. Sometimes we believe that way because the church taught us this, or they taught us that, or our parents did or whatever, through education, whatever it might be. But in every case, there is a authority behind that. I had a conversation with somebody recently, and they were giving me their position on God and position on things, and that's what I asked. I said of that person, I said, what is your authority for why you believe what you do? To the credit of the individual, the individual turned around and said, you know, I guess it's really just my own personal opinion. And I said, that's right. Are you willing to invest your eternity on just an opinion? On what somebody else said and you never tested it? You need objective truth. You need something to be able to turn to. And so Peter's telling them what their longing should be is for that truth, the pure milk of the word of God, the unadulterated. Notice that. When he says pure, what does that mean? Like a newborn baby, they had a long for the pure, first of all. 
the unadulterated, the uncontaminated, if you will, to just give it another word. We talk about pure, that's what it is. Not just the word of God, but you want to make sure that you're getting it untainted. Why? Well, if a baby gets milk and it's contaminated, what'll happen? What'll happen? The baby gets sick, won't it? Think about it. You give a baby milk that's contaminated, the baby will get sick. Maybe even to the extreme, what? Die. The baby needs pure milk. And so does the believer. And so really does the unbeliever. We need the pure, the unadulterated word of God. Now, I'll just make this passing comment because it's important for you to understand it. And I'm going to show you why when it says the word, the milk of the word. We need the pure and uncontaminated milk of the word. Is that an accurate translation? I say that because there's a number that debated today because of the use of the word. The word there where it says uh, the word is, is from the root logos, but a very familiar passage to us also uses this. It's, he, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says that you had to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your what? Help me. Reasonable service. It's the same word. And so some say that it really means that we are to have a desire for the pure milk of the reasoning or the pure milk of the spiritual nature. And they just leave it at that. No, I think it's a very accurate translation here that he, in a context as well, that it's the pure milk of the word, which is from that root lagos. Why? Context. What did he just say? I read it to you in verse 23. He says the word of God is living. What did he say in verse 25? The word of the Lord, it's the word of the Lord, endures forever. What is he going to say after this? Well, we'll get to it in just a few moments, but in verse 2 he's going to say, so that you can grow. What is it that's living? What is it that's powerful? What is it that is enduring forever? What is it that helps us to grow? It's the word of God. It's a very accurate translation. How does a person come to salvation? Faith comes by hearing, help me, and hearing by the word of God. That is why we need the pure milk of the word of God. What should we want preached here? What should you want in Bible studies? What should you want in a church? You, what should you want in your own life? The word of God, why? That is what is going to change, not a person, not your reasoning or my reasoning. We can use all the intellect in the world, and there may be some legitimate and very good arguments for that. But I want you to see something. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I know many of you know that passage, but let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 4. Watch this. Verse 12. For, it's a reason that goes back to a conclusion in verse 11. You can look at that. For what? What does it say? The word of God, watch, is what? Living. Isn't that what just Peter said? Yes. The word of God is living. What else? It's active. How sharp is it? Help me. Sharper than any two-edged sword, right? How deep can the word of God penetrate? Watch. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. My reasoning can't do that. No science book can do that. But the word of God can. 
of both joints and marrow, watch this, and it is able to judge even the thoughts and the intents of what? The heart. I can't do that. You can't look at me and you might want to say you think you know my motives. I might want to say I know what your motives are, but we really can't penetrate that way. But the word of God, the living word of God is able to penetrate deep down into the very thought processes of a person, into the heart of where they really are thinking and really examine them so that you can use the word of God and the person may go away and still the word of God is working in them. It happened with me when I came to salvation. You use the word of God, a simple verse like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. If nothing else, a person doesn't know Christ, eternal life, they may believe it or not believe it, but if they turn that verse in their mind, it'll get right down to the fact that they're going to know, you know what, you're going to die. Then what? Well, I just believe I'm going to be in the grave and just uh, rot out there in the grave. Really? On what basis? On what authority do you believe that? You say, well, I just believe it. You willing to rest your eternity on that? When you have a visual aid at this time of the year with the fall and then again in the spring, when you plant seeds and you see that the seed changes and then out comes a future product being a tree or a fruit or whatever it is, apple trees that people are picking now, it's a result of a seed that was planted for that tree. You too will be resurrected from the grave because God promises it. So the word of God is needed what? For salvation. Man needs to hear the message that man's getting from the outside is that man is basically good. Really. Do you ever look at your news? Do you look at what's happening in the world? Somebody came to me today and spoke to me and asked me to pray for a situation. I can tell you specifically what it was in Iraq because right now the Muslims are systematically going village to village and killing the children of Christians. That is not hearsay. That is going on right now in this world. It's a reality. So we want to pray for that. People need salvation. They need to hear the word of God. Why? Because it's convicting. Your arguments won't be convicting. Mine won't. But what else? It is also going to be, as we'll see in just a moment, the method by which we are able to grow. You cannot grow as a believer without the living and pure word of God. We all need it. Why? Wasn't it the Lord that said, man shall not live, help me, by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In the book of Deuteronomy is where that came from. If you want to check it out, it's Deuteronomy chapter 8, in which Moses was rehearsing things, and he said, look at, look at how God took care of you. Look at how God was working, and he said, here are the commandments, obey them, and remember this that man will not just, God wanted to teach you that man won't just live through things like that by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's where it came from. We need it. We ought to crave it. And notice he's not even talking about craving Bible study. He's not even talking about craving memorization. He's not talking about all that. He's not saying, I want you to crave studying diligently to be a, a scholar. No, he just wants you to crave the pure milk of the word of God, you and me. 
He wants it for us. We ought to want it for me. We ought to want it for our families, and we ought to want it for this local church. The word of God, the pure milk of the word of God. Let's go back to infants since that's what he says. He says, like newborn babies, we should desire the pure milk of the word. I think we can relate to that. Why? Think about an infant right now, because that's what we're talking about, a new baby. And I have a new grandchild that was just born recently, and I have observed this same thing. What? They crave nothing but milk. What does that mean? They don't focus on the needles. Think about it. They don't focus on the fact that they've just banged their arm. They don't focus on the bruises they may have encountered when they flipped over in the crib. They don't even crave or worry about the dirty diapers. The parents do. They don't. Think about it. They don't worry about their onesie when they spit up all over you and them. Now, this sounds silly, but I want you to get it. That baby could care less about all the other things that are happening to it. What the baby wants is one thing, pure milk. They don't worry about the environment around them. There can be noise going on. There can be all kinds of things. They're not concerned about that. They want one thing, milk. And they want uncontaminated milk. And they will cry, kick, scream, and do anything they have until they get it. Right? Hello? You don't think so? I observed it with all my children. Right? And that's what it is. They just want it. They cry. They want it. They can't live without it. And it makes no difference, all the other things that are going on. And they also know when it's pure. I've witnessed that. Sometimes when the, the phases are going on and we've even babysat and one of the mothers are nursing, one of our, our children were nursing the baby and then they gave us formula, uh-oh. You know, not that there was anything wrong with the formula, but the baby knows the difference, right? That should be us. As believers, if you're here today and you're thinking about even, you know, I don't take any of this, I don't believe any of this stuff, and uh, what's the authority behind you? You ought to crave the word of God. i tell you why even my own background. I didn't want to rest it in a church. You don't want to have your faith resting in some church that you were brought up in, including this one. You don't want to rest your faith in someone else's opinion. You want to rest your faith in the word of God because that's the only thing that counts. You say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't. Get a Bible and read it for yourself. You say, I don't know, it was written by all different kinds of people, all kinds of mistakes and all. Really? You studied it that well. And you know that, right? I would encourage you, take out the Bible yourself and read it. But I need a, a minister or a, or a priest to interpret it because everybody's interpreting it. No, read it for yourself. What does it mean that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God? It means exactly that, you're a sinner. What does it mean that the wages of sin is death? It means you're going to die because of sin. What does it mean when it says, for God so loved the world? It means he loved you. What does it mean when it says, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the way, the only way, the truth and the life. And then he said this, no one can come into the presence of the Father but by me. What does he mean by that? You interpret it. 
Don't let it rest on anybody else. We need the pure milk of the word of God. Let me step on my toes and on some of your toes this morning. You notice what he said? Like a newborn baby craves for the word of God, we are to crave the pure milk of the word. Now, what does that mean? The word. There are those who crave Schofield. There are those who crave Spurgeon. There are those who crave Ryrie, MacArthur, Stanley, Calvin, Boyce, Linsky, Wolvard. I could go on and on and on and on. There are more people that know more about those people than they do the pure milk of the word. We ought to crave the word of God. All of those men that I, know, that I named, as far as I know, were godly men, and we can benefit greatly by them. Don't miss my point. But don't dare spending all your time knowing more about what Schofield or Spurgeon said than what God said. Desire the pure milk of the word. If you're spending six hours reading them and a half an hour reading the word of God, you're not going to know the God of the Bible like you think you might know him. You're going to know him through the eyes of somebody else. Those people are great, but we need to crave the word. Go back with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. That's in the Old Testament. If you're in my Bible class, you should be there. Nehemiah chapter 8. I want you to see this. This is Old Testament now. But beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe, watch this, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the book, uh, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen and understand on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and all who could understand. And all the people were attentive to what? Ezra, right? No. Book of the Law. They were craving it in the Old Testament. They wanted it. They didn't have the privilege of walking around with a book in their hand that was bound. And as I said to my Bible class this week, now we're into the age where you've got it on an electronic thing and all you do is push a button and it turns to the passage. They didn't have that. But they craved the pure milk of the word. You think that's just Old Testament? Turn with me very quickly to Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. Let's be honest with our own hearts. What is it that I crave in the Christian life? A good time? 
Or do I really crave the word of God because why? I need it. Like an infant. In Acts chapter 17, I'll get right to the heart of the issue. Uh, Paul's on his journeys, and you come to verse 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those at Thessalonica. He's talking about Berea. And he says this, why? Here's the reason. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining what? All of the writings of the Old Testament men on the books about what it said. I don't think so. All the scribal writings, they, they studied the books of Gamaliel. That's not what it says there. What it says is they with eagerness received it and examined the scriptures to see whether those things were so. They were a people that had a longing for the truth. And folks, that's what should be in me and it should be in you as believers. Why? Because again, if we long for the pure milk of the word, we know that people will come to salvation. If we long for the pure milk of the word, that is what we need in our lives. Why? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. He gives you the consequence now. What is it? He says that, what? So that by it you might grow in respect to salvation. The consequence of the right product is growth. The product of a baby longing for milk, what happens? The baby will grow. It won't become malnourished. It will grow and mature. The same thing is true in the Christian life. The thing that we need to long for the most is the word of God. God's not looking for us to be scholars again. I want you to understand that. But he wants us to long for it. Why? Because that is what examines our own hearts. That is what helps us to mature. That is what helps us to grow. Turn with me to a very familiar passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this is not Pastor Dan's opinion. You ought to desire this in your life, in your church, for your children. Why? Of course we need the wisdom of this world. Of course we need the education. All of that, very, very important. They also need the pure milk of the word of God. Chapter 3, right? You know it. Look at verse 16. All what? Scripture is breathed forth by God. That's what it means. It's come forth from the mouth of God. That's why it's called the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, for correction. We don't like some of these things. It's for training in what? Righteousness. That's what we need to know. Why? So that the man of God might be what? Adequate. Equipped for every good work. Are we to be involved in good works? Absolutely. Are we to be involved in helping others? Are we to be involved in the Christian life and serving? Absolutely. What's going to help us to do that? What helps us to grow? It's the pure, the sincere, the unadulterated word of God. We need it. Ask yourself this, how am I growing? Well, when's the last time you spent time in the pure milk of the word? My office is filled with books, and I am grateful to have them. I have a computer that has technology on it that can get me around with all the most scholarly information that I need to have for my study. And I appreciate every one of those. 
But if all my time spent in those and not in the pure milk of the word, I can't possibly del deliver the pure milk of the word to you. And not only that, I need the pure milk of the word. So do you. So do you. That will help me to grow. It'll bring conviction where I have maybe some of the things in verse 1 in my life, where you have some of those things, or how we should be acting. We are to long for it just like a baby screams. And let me ask you that. Is that rep uh, representative of my life? Is it representative of your life? That you actually are screaming for the just, the pure milk of the word? That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for me so that I can grow. He says that should be our desire. Or is it all the other peripheral things? Now it says in respect to salvation. What does that mean? Does it mean that if he's addressing believers that they'll finally get saved? I don't think so. I think that it's an evidence of salvation. What, the longing for the word, that you still long for the word and continue to long for the word in respect to salvation is until Christ comes back and it's materialized. Why do you say that? Well, first of all, let me give you the context. Go back to chapter 1. I want you to see this. Go back there. Verse 5 who were protected by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed when? In the last time. Verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the glory and the honor when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your salvation, outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the outcome of it. Verse 13, therefore prepare your hearts and minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Keep your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think he's very consistent with what he's been saying when he comes to chapter 2. What is that? Is it just talking about the word of God for salvation? Well, it's necessary to bring a person there. But he says, so that you might grow in respect to salvation. It's the continued endurance. It's John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you are my disciples, you will continue in my word. Then are you my disciples indeed. Because you're continuing in the word of God. In Philippians chapter 2, where he says, Paul Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's working in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. It's the working out of salvation that he's talking about. Because he's saying, desire it like pure, like babies. Why? So that I can grow in respect to that. I should be growing in that salvation. It should be evidence there and will be seen so that when Christ comes back, it won't just be a profession of faith, but it'll be real. So I should be longing for, you should be longing for the word of God. And as we come to the last part in verse 3, very quickly, we need to remember this. He says if, it's a conditional clause, it's a first class condition. What does that mean? If you have tasted, he's really assuming that they have because they've made that profession of faith. What? The kindness of the Lord. That's a quote out of Psalms 34. Many, many of us, probably in this room, and many, many a time when I've gone to a hospital, Psalm 34 has been a tremendous encouragement to people. 
to talk about the goodness of the Lord and experiencing. If you've saved, you're saved, if you've trusted in Christ this morning, you have tasted the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. You have. To be brought from death unto life, there's no doubt in my mind there's people that are in this room that are still not in that condition. They're still without Christ, without hope, living in a world not knowing where they're going or what will happen. Hoping beyond all hope that their scale of good works is going to get them into heaven. Never examining the depths of their hearts. To realize if you've hated somebody, you've just committed murder in your heart. To realize that if you've ever lusted after another woman or man, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You'll never outweigh those good works, but they're hoping beyond hope. That person needs to come to Christ and experience the goodness, the kindness of the Lord as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not religion. Read it for yourselves. Where? By desiring the pure milk of the word. Don't talk about the Bible. Get into it and read it. And for believers, we've tasted and seen it. And if we've seen it, we'll desire more of it because since it came even for salvation to us, the more we get into it, the more we'll desire it and long for it because it changes us from glory to glory. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it convicts. But it's through that process that we're growing. Yes, it also encourages us. Yes, so it also helps us to understand who God is and what he's like. So let me close with this. As Peter's addressing them, he's saying, look, these things have no place in the Christian life, verse 1. But here's what does. No matter how long you've been saved, act like a little baby when it comes to wanting more of the scriptures. Because you can't get enough of them. And again, he's not looking for you to be a scholar. But what happens? The word of God reveals who God is. It reveals who we are. It reveals how my relationship to him can be improved. It reveals to me how our relationship with one another. And what is it that I'm craving? What is it that you're craving? What is it that this church is craving? It should be for the pure, unadulterated word of God. My prayer, honestly, for me as a pastor just so you hear it from me. You know, people say a lot of things and talk a lot about anybody that teaches the word of God, but I want you to know my heart. My heart is that I can one day stand before God and say, God, all I tried to do is not add, not try to take away, but to give your people nothing new but the pure, unadulterated word of God so that they could grow, so that they could come to know Christ, so that they could take it. And I want that in my own life. We should want that for the church, the unadulterated word of God. You know what? Growth will happen. When a baby is getting the milk, everything else takes its place. Oh, there's bumps. There's bruises. There's difficulties. The environment sometimes stink, and they caused it. Okay? But they grow, and they continue to mature. And they continue to be used even effectively in society. And the same thing is true in the church of Jesus Christ. 
Folks, let's long for the word of God. That's what will help us to grow. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I challenge you with this. What is the authority for what you believe? You say, I have no longing whatsoever to even pick up a Bible. Okay? You should. Why? Because you can do it independent of your spouse, your relatives, a priest, a rabbi, uh, a minister, anything that you want to say, and you can look and read for yourself. And I guarantee you this, God will reveal himself to you if you do. And he will reveal the truth. And in it, you will find eternal life. And find it only in his son. It's our prayer that you would. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father and God, I thank you and praise you for the challenge of Peter. These people were facing some very, very difficult situations. Some of them would lose their lives. They were discouraged. And yet he encourages them with the fact that they knew God, that they had the living and powerful and enduring word of God, and that they should desire it because they would continue to grow. And I pray, Father, and thank you for those in this auditorium who have tasted and seen the kindness of God in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him. And I pray, Father, we'd get back to the fundamental and basic things of desiring the uncontaminated, unadulterated word of God in our own lives, in our church life. That we just desire that, that we might grow personally, that our church might grow collectively, that others might, through hearing the word of God, come to believe and come to trust in Christ. Well, that's our heart's prayer. We ask that you just use it in each of our lives. Thank you for this challenge from Peter. And might you get all the honor and glory, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take